Thanks for joining us on the Southside Church Podcast. We seek to build real followers of Jesus, so we hope that you find this message both encouraging and insightful. Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Southside Church today. Thank you for being a part of this day with us, hanging out with us, get to open the Bible, spend some time growing closer to Jesus together. Listen, all is right in the world today. Football is back, baby. We rocking and rolling here in the South. Here comes the boom. The dogs are back, going for three, baby. I'm an obnoxious Georgia fan. That's exactly what I am. You can do that when you've won back-to-back national championships, so that's just me right now. Now, I love it. I'm excited. Go dogs. Here we go. Today, today, you want to talk about living the blessed life? Baby, I'm living the blessed life. That's where I'm at. I'm excited about it. Love it. I'm a, if you hadn't picked up on it, I'm a football guy, okay? I'm just a sports guy, and I am a local guy, so I'm all about the Georgia teams and love them greatly. So when we talk about living the blessed life, hashtag blessed, which my kids tell me, Dad, that's not cool. You can't use hashtags anymore which I tell them, I'm over 50, I can do whatever I want, all right? I'm supposed to be uncool. I'm supposed to embarrass you. That is my job as a parent. But if we wanna talk about the truly blessed life, I believe we gotta go to the Bible. I believe that God shows us the best way to be blessed and to live a blessed life. And so the tagline to the series, though, says when life hurts, Jesus heals. Because life does hurt. Life is painful. And the things that we experience in life are not, there to, are not meant to pull us away from God. They are there to draw us closer to God. Why? Because God is rich, abundantly rich in grace and mercy. And he wants to pour that out on us as his children and as followers of Jesus Christ. And so when we open up the Bible, when we read the Bible, we don't want to just look at what is happening in that day and time. We want to ask, God, what does this mean for me today in my situation, in our current landscape of the world? If you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. We've said this every week in this series that God's way of living always contradicts the world's way. There is a belief system that is that characterizes the world today. It is satanic at its core, and it opposes anything and everything that is godly. Just like the God way is gonna oppose anything that is satanic in its nature. And so they are in stark contrast to one another. Their paths do not cross. God's way of living always contradicts the world's way. And so we're looking at a series of statements that Jesus made in his first ever publicly spoken and recorded sermon. It's in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. The sermon is something we've coined as the Sermon on the Mount because he spoke it on the side of a mountain. But the introduction to the sermon is something that we have coined the Beatitudes. There are nine statements, nine statements that Jesus spoke that are like an introduction to the, to the entire sermon. But when we look at the Beatitudes, he begins with blessed are you, blessed are they when this happens and you respond like this. And so when we 
apply that, when we read it, we see it, and we apply it, I believe we truly get to experience God's greatest blessings in our life. Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, this is what he said, the poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The poor in spirit is a reference to those who realize that they are morally bankrupt apart from God, that our sin, your sin, my sin, has eternally separated us from God. But, but to the, from the God who is rich in grace and mercy, he has made a way for us to be forgiven, to recognize, realize, accept, and own the fact that we are poor, morally bankrupt in our spirit apart from him. But through Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven, we can be saved, we can be rescued, redeemed from that empty way of life. And when you do, you experience a taste of the kingdom of heaven. If you know Christ is your Savior, go back to the day. Remember the day. Remember the moment. Will you truly acknowledge Christ as your Savior? You turned your life over to him. Remember that feeling, that rush of forgiveness, that flood of freedom, that, 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 that peace that passes all understanding in our life. Remember that. And when we get tastes of that and glimpse of that, we're experiencing a little bit of heaven. The poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those who mourn are blessed. And this is not just mourning over the difficulties of life. This is about mourning over the sin that still resides in us, that sin nature that lives in us, even after salvation. At salvation, we realize that Jesus Christ took the penalty for our sin on the cross. You are forgiven. But you and I still live in a broken world where bad things happen to good people, where bad things happen to us that we don't all get and understand, and we are even bad in our own sinful nature. And when we listen to that and follow that, it leads us into sin. And so how do we experience the blessings of heaven? We've got to learn to mourn over our sin. We've got to kill it, slay it, get rid of it, mourn over it so that, so that we can be comforted by the grace and the mercy of God. He says, the gentle are blessed, those who are meek, those who are mild, those who have power that is kept under control. Men don't like to hear this. Men don't probably like to hear any of that. We don't want to be poor. We don't want to be viewed as weak. We don't cry. We don't do any of those things, but yet, the manliest man that ever walked on this planet is showing us how to live life. Maybe we're getting our definition of manhood from the wrong source. Maybe we need to start looking to the one, the one man who came and gave his life, who was more courageous, more bold, more strong, more aware than anything, more victorious than any other person on the planet. Maybe our idea of God, of just manhood is coming from the wrong example. Maybe we need to look to a new one. When Jesus talks about gentleness, he's not talking about weakness. He's talking about power that is harnessed, that is kept under control. I assure you, whenever you are out of control or whatever of life, area of life is out of control for you, God is not in it because God is always in control. Jesus said the gentle, those who have power under control that are disciplined are blessed for they will inherit the earth. You're going to win. I tell my kids this all the time. 
I do. I tell our children, Candy and I say this to our children. If you read the Bible and pray every day and do what it says, you will be, forget education, forget degrees, forget jobs, forget pay, forget all of that stuff. You will be so much further ahead than people your age and beyond your age that people will look at you, scratch their head, and wonder how you do what you do. Why? Because God's word never fails. And so what we see in these first three Beatitudes is what it, it leads to the fourth one, the poor in spirit, those who mourn over their sin, those who are disciplined in their life, those because then it leads to a hunger and thirst for righteousness, which basically is a big word that means how I can be made right with God and how I can do right according to God. And so those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed because they will be filled. See, those first three things lead to this thing. And then this thing leads to the rest of them. Because those first three establish a hunger and thirst for God's ways. And everything we deal with from this point on help us. These are the fruits that come from living this kind of life. This is the next one. This is what Jesus says. The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. Remember the game we'd play as kids? I mean, two guys that would do this, or sometimes we'd you put your hands up, we'd grab it, and we'd kind of turn each other, squeeze hands, or maybe we'd shake hands, but we're, we're playing the game called mercy. And so we do that, and we get it, we're trying to turn and twist, and we're trying to get the upper hand on the other person. And the one that does, the other one cries out, mercy. We're tapping out. We're saying, that's it, I can't take any more. And so I'm crying out for mercy. And when that happens, you don't continue inflicting pain on the person, you stop. Why? Because it's over. Same principle applies here. The merciful are blessed for they will be shown mercy. Mercy can be defined like this. What is mercy? It is the difference or what is the difference between mercy and grace? Mercy is goodness offered to those in misery or distress. Mercy is meeting people's needs. Mercy is, is, is being able to offer goodness to those that are in distress. Being able to show kindness, being able to show grace, being able to show mercy to people. It is meeting people's needs. It is not simply feeling compassion, but showing compassion. Not only sympathizing, but giving a helping hand. Here's where we need to understand that we have to go. In all of these, in every situation, in every part of life that we face, Jesus is our model of mercy. You want a model for mercy? Go to Jesus. Because Jesus modeled it perfectly. He modeled it in his relationship with Mary, his mother, and Joseph, his, his basically his stepfather, because Joseph didn't father him, but as his parents, Jesus modeled mercy. And in the early days with his, all, well, really the whole time, I mean, every step he took on this planet, every word he spoke, every thought he thought, every prayer he prayed, everything's modeled mercy to his disciples, to the women and children, to those that were sick and broken and demon-possessed, to those that were desperate and in need, those who had, who had lost loved ones, those who had experienced hurt and pain, even to the church leaders, Jesus was a model of mercy. 
See, we'll see, we'll, we'll, we'll see this the more we journey in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is unique. It's unique in its response to the human problem. And the response is not us, but him. The greatest problem that you and I have is our sin problem. It is a sin nature. It is what you're born with. It's what I'm born, I was born with. It's what we were all born with. And that sin has separated us from God. And the payment, according to the Bible, the payment for that sin is death. It is eternal death in hell, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we recognize that, realize that, and give our lives to Jesus... The rest of our life is a process of sanctification, of becoming more like Jesus. Are you becoming more like Jesus? If you were to stop and examine your life today, is it, is it better than before you trusted Christ? I mean, are you becoming more like Jesus or are you less like Jesus? Are you at this stage in your journey, are you pursuing Jesus more or pursuing Jesus less? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is unique. There is nothing else like it in its response to the human problem. The greatest human problem is we're lost. We need a savior. And the response to the human problem is nothing inside of you or me. The response is him. And so today I'm gonna ask you a question. When it comes to your life, when it comes to your relationship with other people, when it comes to your relationship with God, are you a conduit? or a cul-de-sac? Are you a conduit or a cul-de-sac? They are two different things. A conduit is a, is, a, is a means of transporting something from here to there, from one place to another. If I am a conduit of electricity, I'm gonna receive electricity for he, from here, it's gonna flow through me to there. I am a conduit, it's gonna move through me. Exactly what comes in this side is gonna come out that side. If I'm a cul-de-sac, if I'm a cul-de-sac in a neighborhood, I, nothing moves through me. It's an end of the road place. You're gonna go there and there's gonna be a stop because you can't go any further. When it comes to your relationship with God, when it comes to your trust in Jesus Christ, when it comes to the needs and the wishes and the purpose and the plans and the dreams and desires and all of those things that you are, are you a conduit of God's righteousness, God's grace, God's mercy, God's blessing, God's favor, God's anointing, God's purpose? Or are you a cul-de-sac? Does it end with you or does it continue through you? Three things today about the mercy of God. Number one, mercy means that your hurt and pain never has to have the last word. Mercy means that your hurt and pain never have to have the last word. Never. Because what I want to communicate today is a way to help you not just experience mercy and grace from God, but to be a conduit that gives it and shares it with others. One of the greatest ways that you can learn about being a servant and a follower of Jesus Christ is to do the same for someone else. But hurt and pain in life keep us from experiencing and sharing 
the things we learn from that and the, the, the good things that can come from it. Mercy? Mercy means that you're hurt and pain never have to have the last word. In John chapter 20, we're going to live there and in chapter 21 today, we go to the resurrection. We go to the day that Jesus rose from the dead. In John chapter 20, verse number 11, but Mary, Mary Magdalene stood outside facing the tomb and she was crying. Why was she crying? Because they had gone that morning to check on the body of Jesus to anoint his dead body with with spices and, and perfumes because that was just a part of the burial ritual. And when they get there, the stone is rolled away. The guards are gone. Jesus is not there. Angels have been present and told them and asked them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Okay. Now, for 2,000 years, we've been taught that story over and over and over again. That may not be difficult for you to grasp. In this moment, that was highly unlikely. No one had ever seen anything like that before. And so here's Mary. Mary is standing there. She's crying. And as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb for herself. She saw two angels in white sitting there, and one at the head and one at the feet, where Jesus' body had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've taken him. The hurt, the pain, that this lady who had had a powerful encounter and now a a several-year journey with Jesus is overwhelmed by the moment. The hurt and the pain of the loss of Jesus has stopped her. She's not a conduit, she's a cul-de-sac. It's not moving anywhere from her. And I'll promise you, if you don't deal with hurt and pain in your life, it doesn't just become a cul-de-sac, it becomes a cesspool of hurt and nastiness in our life that affects other people around you. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. And though she did not know it was Jesus, woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And supposing that he was just the gardener, she said, sir, if you've removed him. (laughs) Now, pause. Two angels just told you that he's alive, okay? She totally missed that moment because of the hurt and the pain in her life. How many times do we miss the miraculous because we're dealing with the, just the, nastiness and the hurt and pain and loss of life. We can't see it. She can't even recognize that this is Jesus. Sir, if you've removed him, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Mary. Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher, she grabbed at him. He said, don't cling to me. Let me go. He's like, let me go, girl. <laughs> Get off me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father, to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary, you don't have to be a cul-de-sac of hurt and pain anymore. I need you now to be a conduit of life and peace and joy. Go and be that today. It's powerful to see 
the mercy of God displayed in our hurt and our pain? What's the greatest miracle that you could possibly imagine? I don't know what it is. I can tell you what she just experienced is the greatest thing she's ever seen in her life. What do we learn from moments like this? What do we see from this? Mercy means that your hurt and pain never have to have the last word. Mary Magdalene, she left and went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. She's no longer a cul-de-sac. She's now a conduit. She's doing exactly what Jesus said for her to do. See, Jesus comes to us in grace and mercy, and he reassures us. He reassures us through his word. What does he reassure us of? His, his life, his presence, his forgiveness, his purpose, his power, his plan. Jesus will always come to you in grace and mercy. And he'll reassure us through his word of what? He's in control. And he wants to use hurt and pain in your life, not as a cul-de-sac, but a conduit of blessing. Number two, mercy means that your doubts and questions never has to have the last word. Mercy means that your doubts and questions never has to have the last word. I mean, everybody has doubts and questions. Everybody has hurt and pain, but they don't have to have the last word, but many times they do. The doubts and the questions that I have a lot of times about life and about faith, it has the final word. Why? Because it's not a, I don't use it as a conduit. I use, it becomes a cul-de-sac and it stops me. John or Thomas, Thomas, one of the disciples, one of the 12, Thomas called twin was not with them when Jesus came. Jesus, after appearing to Mary and to those ladies, he comes and appears to the disciples that are gathered in an upper room. They have all seen it. Thomas was not there. They've gone to see Thomas. Thomas, come on, Jesus is alive. Thomas is like, I'm not gonna believe it. They come to him, he wasn't there. The other disciples kept telling him, we've seen the Lord over and over and over again. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, if I don't put my finger in the mark of the nails, if I don't put my hand into his side, look at what he says, I will never believe. What is that? He's a cul-de-sac. He's a cul-de-sac of doubt. He's not a cul-de-sac of grace and mercy. He's a cul-de-sac of doubt and questions, hurt and pain. The one I gave my life to is gone. And you want to play this sick mind game with me that he's alive. I've never seen that happen before. I've never heard of that happening before. This went on for eight days. Eight days? After eight days, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. It's Sunday again. Here they are. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace to you. Translation, sup? He'd already addressed all the disciples except for Thomas. And he said to Thomas, come here. Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand. Touch me here. Feel the mark of the spear. Thomas, don't be an unbeliever. Be a believer. What did Thomas say? He said, then I saw his face. Ah, ah, yeah, I'm a believer. Anyway, all right, so what does Thomas say? Thomas says, my Lord and my God. 
And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But those who believe without seeing me are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn. I mean, blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be given and shown mercy. See, Jesus comes to us in grace and mercy. And he restores us through his word. Jesus comes to us in grace and mercy and he restores us through his word. He, here's Thomas. Mary had become cul-de-sacs of hurt and pain, doubt and questions. But God didn't want them to stay that way. He wanted them to be a conduit of grace and mercy of purpose, healing, and restoration. And finally, finally, mercy means that your failure never has to have the last word. Your failure never has to have the last word. If there's something that we can all agree on is that we have all failed in some way. We failed to God, we failed with others, we failed in our own journey. How do you and I handle that? How do we process that? On this particular day in John 21, Jesus is alive. All the disciples know it. (laughs) And he's commissioned them to go into the world and continue his message to be a conduit. But on this day, Peter and a bunch of the disciples got up to go fishing because that was their trade of the past. They went back to what was comfortable, what they knew, what was old. Because of the failure, because of the mistakes, because of the doubt, because of the hurt and the pain, they made a decision to go in the wrong direction. They were still operating like a cul-de-sac rather than a conduit. They fished all night. They didn't catch anything. The morning they were about to come inside and there's a guy standing, there's about to come to the shore and there's a guy standing on the side of the beach and he says, hey, have you caught anything? They said, no, we hadn't caught a thing. Cast your net on the other side. Whatever. They throw their net on the other side and immediately there were so many fish that the boat began to tip over. They're hauling this load of fish into the boat and Peter looks and John is standing with him and John says, it's the Lord. (laughs) Peter doesn't wait. Peter just jumps out of the boat and he swims to shore as the disciples are kind of rowing by him, going, hey, bro, you want to get in the boat? They run up on the shore. They're trying to get the fish up. Peter runs and grabs the net and he's pulling it. He's pulling it up on the shore. I think everything that Peter is screaming to Jesus without any words is, look at me. I let you down, I failed you three times. I told you I'd never do it. I told you I'd stand with you through thick and thin and I ran away from all of it and here I am. When they got up there, Jesus had a fire and he had some fish cooking and he said, bring some more, we're gonna cook it and have breakfast. 
And when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, well, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he said. Conduit. He said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. He said, shepherd, my sheep, feed them. Feed the lambs. Feed the immature, the weak, the lowly, those that are lost. Shepherd them through the hurts and the pains of life. Peter, don't be a cul-de-sac, be a conduit. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then get out of my face, you sorry, miserable scoundrel. You turned your back on me, I don't ever see you again. <laughs> no, that's not what he said. He said, feed my sheep. See, Jesus comes to us in grace and mercy. He doesn't just reassure us. He doesn't just restore us. He comes to us in grace and mercy and he releases us. What's he release us to do? To be a conduit for his grace and mercy. See, the whole point of the Christian life is that the character of Jesus be reproduced into the lives of his people. A cul-de-sac is closed off, shut down. But a conduit, a conduit is a means of taking one thing from this place and sending the exact same thing to the other. When Jesus hung on the cross, they didn't crucify him like this. They crucified him like this. Jesus never came to this earth to be a cul-de-sac. He could have. He could have said, look at me. Watch what I can do. But everything he said and did, including his time on the cross, was a conduit of grace and mercy. Today, you get to decide what has the final word in your life. Hurt and pain, questions, doubt, failures, mistakes. Or will it be grace and mercy? Today, why don't you let the cross and the one who died on it for you and the one who picked his life up again after it have the final word over your hurt, your pain, your doubts, your questions, your fears, and your failures. Let me pray for you today. Maybe just take a moment today and confess, release, ask for the mercy and forgiveness of God to flood your soul. Maybe you would pray this with me. Father God, I'm a sinner. 
And I come to you in complete honesty and transparency today. I need you. I need your grace and your mercy in abundance. But God, not just for me, but to be a conduit of grace and mercy for others. Create in me a clean heart. Give me a steadfast spirit and a life that honors what you did inside of me. Forgive me, cleanse me, and use me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you made that decision today to say, yes, I do want to choose Jesus. I do want to acknowledge him as my personal Lord and Savior. Congratulations. We could not be more excited for you. And we want to help you in that process and answer any questions that you might have and provide you resources. To do that, simply text Jesus, that's J-E-S-U-S, to 706-449-0870. And one of our pastors on staff will be in touch with you because we want to help you as you walk out your faith. If you thought, you know what, I would like to contribute to all that God is doing in and through Southside. I would like to partner with them. You can do that in three simple ways. First, you can text GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 706-449-0870. Secondly, you can do it on the Southside app in the GIVE tab. Lastly, Southside.online. You can do it through the GIVE section on our website. Thank you so much for being here with us today, and we hope you have a great rest of your week.